Well, good morning, everyone. And I always say this because I mean it. I'm glad you're here. I really am. And uh, we're going to be picking up in Leviticus. Can you believe we're in Levit- Leviticus already? And uh, Frank uh, covered chapter one, most of it, this morning. And uh, I'll be in chapter two. So Leviticus chapter two. I want to mention right off that we have uh, adult dinner tomorrow night. And uh, I know we forgot to mention it last week. There's a, si- There's a sign-up sheet. Try, I mean, think about this. Sign-up sheet. There's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board. Put your name if you're going to go to the dinner. Right now, it's just Vi and I. Um, so, <laughs> so you might want to put your name on there if you uh, would like to go. And um, so let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you for just the life you've given us, life in you, that we might be able to have relationship with our Creator, with our God. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us this morning and minister to every need we have, because Lord, your love for us is deeper than we can even comprehend, and you have supplied every need according to your riches and glory. And whether our need is for physical healing, for relationships to be healed, for Whatever it might be, Lord, we know that you're capable, more than capable, of supplying everything in order to bring resolution to our heart and spirit. And so now come, Lord, and anoint and use me to minister to these, your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Uh, No. You know, one of the things I'm going to start, like I'm going around... What is that called? Patty's? Is that old saying? Patty's Barn. Any of you young people ever hear of that? Patty's Barn? No, I didn't think so. But going around Patty's Barn means like it seems like you're going nowhere, but there's really a point. So when I start this teaching off, it's going to seem like I'm going nowhere, but there's really a point I'm going to be making. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I love, of course, is the Word of God. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that, God made man from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into him the breath of life. And it says, and man became a living being. Now, there's so much more to that than just we might see on the surface. Man became a living being. The thing we have to understand is that life is amazing. You know, when we think of life, you know, we just think, oh, this is my life. This is what I'm doing. But life itself is amazing. And God gave man life for one reason, to have this kind of intimate fellowship with him. You know, one of the things that we have to realize is that nothing except that which has life are we capable of having relationship with. For instance, uh, in our upstairs room, our house is kind of weird. You go upstairs, and that's where our living room is. In our living room up there... We, we uh, well, actually, I, I say we collectively. Actually, it was uh, my granddaughter. But anyway, it got painted, <laughs> and I built this shelf, this beautiful shelf. Of course, it came in a box with directions, but anyway, I built this beautiful shelf, and I have it up there, and we, you know, redecorated. And our living room's really nice now up there. But I don't sit there and look around and say, Boy, this is great. I want to have fellowship. Hey, living room, would you like to have dinner with me? You know what I'm saying? It's just a room. It's a non-living thing. There's no capability of having any kind of fellowship, any kind of intimacy. But God desired 
to have intimacy with us. And that's why we are a living being. Anyone who looks at the theory of evolution, you have to understand that besides the fact that it's inaccurate, it makes absolutely no sense scientifically at all. And it is really a way that Satan and the world has used to draw man away from the very purpose of God. Because we know that if you're, if you're trying to use evolution as your theory of how life began and how we are in existence, you have to go back to a place where there's nothing. I mean, you can only go back, well, you know, man evolved from some kind of, uh, you know, protozoan that was in, well, where did that come from? Well, it was when you had the water and lightning struck it and caused some kind of ionization. Well, how did that, where did that come from? Well, that goes, and, and you eventually go back to nothing. You can't help but eventually go back to nothing. And mathematically, nothing always equals nothing or produces nothing. And so we recognize that the law of biogenesis, which is something a, a freshman science you know, class is going to teach you, life only comes from life. And so there is only one who always was and always is who's a living being, and that is Jehovah, God, our great God and creator. And so he created us out of nothing, out of the dust of the earth. And he breathed into us the breath of life, and then it says, and it's two different things, it says, and man became a living being. Now, what it means to be alive is that you have the capability of interacting with your environment. And God created us that we might be able to interact with him in order to have fellowship with him. And so when we think of our relationship with the Lord and we think of our faith, so often we just think, well, it's just the way I believe. It's kind of a religion I follow. It's this or that. But it's so much more than that. It is intimacy. It is fellowship with God. And that's what he desires of us. And because God desired for this fellowship to be one of love, he created man with the ability to choose. And in order to have, the, you know, in order to make choice have any meaning, there has to be a choice. And so that's why God said to man, you can eat of any tree in the garden you want except for the tree in the center of the garden. Don't eat of that tree because the day you eat of it, you're going to be spiritually separated from me. That's the death that's being talked about there. He had to give man choice because only in choice is love expressed. Unfortunately, man chose to eat of the tree in the center of the garden to obey Satan rather than God and man spiritually died, fell out of fellowship with the Lord. But God, being such a loving God, he chose to make a way for restitution that man can, could come back into fellowship with him. And what a beautiful thing it is, isn't it? That you and I have the capability of coming back into fellowship with the Lord. And he starts off in the Old Testament by just giving us a shadow of what was to come. And that was the whole sacrificial system. The shedding of blood to pay, the shedding of innocent blood, of perfect blood, to pay for the atonement of man's sins. And that's why we have, you know, the Day of Atonement we read about in the Old Testament. It was for the atoning of the sin of mankind. And that's what it represented. But that, of course, was very temporary. 
because you would take the sacrifice, you would shed its blood, and there is the whole deal you did. You put it on the horns, you know, of the altar, and then you, you know, uh, one day the priest took the, the blood and put it on the mercy seat and for the day of atonement, for the sin of the, of the people. And then if you went out and sinned, you were just as dead as, as you were before spiritually. So God desired to bring us into continuous relationship with him, not just intermittent relationship with him. And so he gave us a living sacrifice who is Jesus Christ. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived a perfect life, teaching us a perfect way. And when he died on that cross, his innocent blood was shed for us the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died on the cross for us, but then he rose again. He's a living sacrifice. So his sacrifice for sin wasn't just a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. And the whole purpose and reason for that is that you and I might have continuous relationship with the Lord because this might be a surprise to you, and don't take me wrong, but even after you got saved, you have sinned. I I don't get shocked. I I really, you know, but you know that's true. Even after we're saved, we have a tendency to go our own way and sometimes to fall to sin. But because of of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because of the fact that he's a living sacrifice and because of the fact it's not just some kind of a religious relationship, it's an intimate relationship, it's a family relationship we have with him, our sins were able to continue moving on in our walk with God. And, you've, you know, though a righteous man, you've heard me say this how many times, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. So the sign of being righteous isn't that you never fall, it's you get back up. And because Jesus is our living sacrifice, we're able to do that. You know, Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned in his message this morning a little bit about the marital relationship, and it's so true. You know, have you ever read the fairy tales and it says, at the very end of the story, it says, and they got married and they lived happily ever after. That's a fairy tale. Because marriage is a working relationship. Now, you two probably, I mean, you two, you, all of you, <laughs> it feels like to this. Anyway, all of you look, look at Vi and I this morning, and you might be thinking, oh, they have such a perfect relationship. We have a great relationship, but it's not perfect. We've had our times, believe me. We've had our times where, you know, we're at crosshairs with one another, and, and maybe weren't talking to one another, and, and this and that. But the fact is, we have a commitment to one another, and therefore we work through those difficulties. And the reality is that having someone that you're so in love with and having someone that you feel such fellowship with, that you can talk to, that you know that they hear you and you hear them, and and, and someone that you can feel just that kind of, of intimacy with communion as being one, is just the most beautiful thing in the world. And the thing we have to understand, that is exactly what God wants with us. It's not a matter, he's God in heaven there, and Jesus is out there somewhere too at the right hand of God, and I know the Holy Spirit's in me, and there's some kind of religious experience. No, the Lord intends for our relationship with him to be as intimate as the relationship of a husband and wife. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that. 
that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so Christ's love for the church, for you and I, is like a husband and wife. That's the kind of intimacy we're to have with him. But so many times we try to make religion as some kind of you know, list of rules and regulations and something so abstract when it's not. And when you look at all these things like we're reading in Leviticus, in fact, when I read the portion that I have this morning in chapter 2, you're going to be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what is all... But actually, there's a lot to it. Because what it's referring to is what the Lord desires to have with you and I. Here's what it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Peter's talking to believers. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. We once were darkness, now we're light. How beautiful is that? You remember what it tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's gone because of Jesus. In Romans 11.36, I love this. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. So we have to understand Everything we do is for him, but it's through him, and it initially came from him. So it's this beautiful circle of love that God has given us. It's amazing. Now, as we read this portion of Scripture, we're going to find there are two types of sacrifices that are mentioned here in Leviticus. And one is you have either the sin or trespass sacrifice, and that's for sin. That's for the sins that we have committed. Is for the way of life that has been um, displeasing to the Lord. And that's the atoning sacrifice that we make. And they're called, uh, you know, the sin offering or atoning sacrifices. Now, we have to realize when we offer these, when the Jews would offer these sacrifices, they weren't offering it as if it was them, as somehow they did something in order for their sins to be atoned for. I offered this lamb or I offered this turtle dove or whatever it was. It was the fact that they were uh, making recognition of the fact that God has atoned for their sin. That's what the sacrifice was. Not that they were doing anything. Man couldn't do anything to atone for his own sin. But he was offering the sacrifice as an acknowledgement that God was able to forgive their sin. It was always from God's perspective. We also have to remember that as I talk to you about family and how important family is, you know, um, some of you young people I feel sorry for. I remember when I was a kid... And, uh, you know, that's a long time ago now. And, and a lot of you might remember this as well. Every single night we sat around the table as a family. Every night. Every single night. And we might tease one another and we talk about our day and this and that, but we sat around the table. That's just what every family did. And now everybody's here and there and going here and there and this and that. Well, 
understand that the Lord desires us to gather around his table as his family on a regular basis to have fun, to worship, to be encouraged by his word. And that's why I love in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So God is represented as preparing a table for his family to gather together to worship him and to thank him and to praise him for all he's done. And it's interesting, you have the tabernacle, right? And you have the outer court where the sacrifices were made, and then you had the, you know, the uh, altar of sacrifice, the burnt offering, and you had the brazen altar where the priest washed, and you come inside to the holy place and so forth. But the thing that we remember is in the holy place, what did you have? You had the table of showbread. And what did the showbread mean? It was the bread that was placed before God. It represented God breading or eating with his people. That's an old saying, breading with someone means like eating with someone, with his people. And the Lord doesn't want to make us in any way feel distant from him, but he wants us to come into family relationship with him. We are a family. And we'll also see that what was not offered on the altar, because they were to bring this grain offering we're going to be talking about, and was, what wasn't offered on the altar was given to Aaron and his sons. And so what that speaks to us is that when we offer sacrifices to the Lord of our own offerings, even to the ministry and even to the pastor's support, when we're offering it, we're really offering it to the Lord. That's who we're really offering it to. And that's what this portion is also telling us. So if we pick up in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take it, shall take from it, uh, from shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial <clears throat> excuse me, on the altar, an offering made by, fine, um, but made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy, it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring an offering, a grain offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, I mean, this seems, seems like, you know, kind of crazy here. Uh, baked in an oven, baked in a pan, but just hang on to that. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be of fire, a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. And you shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, <laughs> it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall um, bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to, uh, to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. 
And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy. Uh, it is most holy of the offerings to the to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offerings to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of grain offering you shall season with salt. And you shall not allow uh, the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from the grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer uh, for the grain offering of your first fruit green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial por portion, uh, part of it beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Well, you read that and you think, what? What in the world is all that about? Well, it's all about the Lord. Everything that we read in Scripture is giving us some idea of who Jesus Christ is. You know, I heard it once said that the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed and the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. Everything we read about in the Old Testament is really prophetically leading us to Jesus Christ. You know, everything that was written in the past was written for our learning, that through constant endurance of the Scripture we might have hope. So even in the Old Testament, even those things written in the past are for our encouragement. It helps us understand who God is and what kind of relationship He desires to have with us. Now, the grain offering, it tells us here, it was to be made, made with fine flour mixed with oil and frankincense. Well, what does that mean? Well, fine or beaten flour, I think that speaks to us of Isaiah 53, verse 5, where it says this, but he was wounded. Obviously, this is an Old Testament prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the beating and crucifixion of Christ. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or beaten, is another word that can be used there, or uh, for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And so we look and we recognize that God himself, Jesus himself, made the sacrifice of himself for the atonement of our sin. Beaten for the chastisement that we were due would be upon him that we might be able to have a relationship with God our Father. Now, Understand, when we look at this, these grain offerings, they were not blood offerings or blood sacrifices because blood sacrifices were for atonement of sin. Now, grain offerings were an expression of gratitude or thanksgiving to God. Now, one of the things that's interesting, the person giving thanks by giving a grain offering to the Lord, it was to be done voluntarily, but it was also a sacrificial offering in the sense that I was willing to give thanks and praise to the Lord 
maybe even in some of the most difficult circumstances. You know, offer up the sacrifice of praise, Scripture tells us. Well, why can praise be a sacrifice? Well, there are days and times, and all of you know what I'm talking about, where you don't feel like praising and thanking the Lord, right? And so those days when you offer up those praises to the Lord is the sacrifice of praise. Thank you, Jesus, for my life. Thank you for all you've done. Even though all these difficulties have come our way, even though we have all these problems, thank you, Jesus. You are such a great God. Now, this also served as an ability for us to confess all the blessings God has given us. How awesome it is to recognize all that the Lord has done for us. You know, um, some of you might have heard, actually, Fernando Ortega made a modern version of it. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus you know, you ever hear that song? You can have, I can't scare it to him. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. That was actually an old African-American spiritual during the time of slavery. We don't even know who the author was. And the whole idea of it was this slave who was a strong believing Christian was saying, I might not have what a lot of people have. I might not even have all my freedom, but that's all part of this world. And you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And we've got to remember that. You can have all this world. All, you know, just give me the Lord. And so when we have that attitude, it makes it so much easier to live life with the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, because this isn't it. How sad it would be if only in this life we had hope in Christ were of all men the most pitiable. How sad would it be if this was it? Because maybe it'd be good, maybe it'd be bad, maybe it'd be kind of indifferent. But the fact is, we have something beyond this life. I can't imagine not having the hope of eternal life, not having the hope of heaven and of Jesus Christ. You know, Pastor Frank Jr. was sharing this morning how um, Pastor Bill Gallatin and um, uh, just, he's, he's probably one of the most amazing men of God I've ever met. And he is no longer senior pastor of Finger Lakes. His son is. Don't get any ideas, Frank. But anyway, uh, um, but anyway, Pastor Bill, just a great guy. He and his wife, I don't know how many years they were married. He's older than, you know, than I am. And uh, when his wife died, it was like three days later, he was in the pulpit preaching. And he said, my wife has left me for another man. And, of course, what he was talking about was Jesus. She left him, and now she's with the Lord. And people said, how could he say that? I mean, that's so cold, it's so hard-hearted. No, it wasn't. He just has and does have great faith. He knew that the moment his, his wife closed her eyes in death, she opened them in life, in eternal life with Jesus Christ. What hope, what promise that is. And that's why even you and I can say, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the world isn't getting any better. Have you noticed that? You look around, and like one of the things that's so amazing to me 
because I grew up as a kid. Remember you always watched the nightly news when you were a kid. You used to look at your parents and think, oh, no, here comes Walter Cronkite. Most of you don't even know who I'm talking about. Here comes Walter Cronkite. Oh, no, I've got to listen to the nightly news. But the thing is, when we used to listen to the nightly world news, guess what they did? You're not going to believe this. They told us what was happening in the world. They told us things that were really going on. Not anymore. You turn on the news, political, 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 political. There's nothing else happening in the world, you understand. Nothing's going on. It's political, political, political. The thing we have to realize is that everything that's happening in this world is exactly what this book prophesies would happen. Everything. Everything is heading in that direction. It's not a, it shouldn't be amazing to us. Well, we're hoping that everything's going to turn around and get... Well, we might have some respites that God provides in order for his purposes to be accomplished. But here's the thing. The world isn't going to get any better. It's going to get worse and worse. And one day, and one day very soon, the Lord's going to be taking his bride, his church, out of this world, and the world's really going to go downhill. So far that it'll, it will desire and cry out for a leader. And that leader, of course, will be the Antichrist. Anti, you know, can mean either in, in place of or uh, alongside of. It doesn't necessarily mean against. A lot of people say Antichrist. Oh, he's against Christ. Well, he is against Christ, but he's against Christ in a very unique way. He's against Christ by pretending to be Christ. He's going to pretend to be the anointed one. He's going to pretend to be Jesus, but he isn't. And he is going to force the world to come alongside of him and to worship him. You know, you have that crazy portion in Scripture in Revelation where you have this woman riding a beast, and the beast ends up devouring a woman with fire. Well, the fact is the woman is religion because the Antichrist... He's going to be fed up with religion, and he's going to want the world to worship him and he alone. That's where we're heading. That's where our world political system is going to be going. And so if you're looking for somehow for the utopian society to be established in our nation or in our world, it's not going to happen. And that's why our focus has to be on Jesus. And that's why the song in our heart has to be, you know what, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. You know, the Lord desires for us just to be pleased and satisfied with what he's given us. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, after church, I'm going to go home and we're going to probably cook some hamburgers on the grill and we're going to sit in the screen room and you know what? We're just going to enjoy what God has given us and we're going to be so thankful for all that the Lord has supplied be thankful. Whatever it is. I mean, we have brothers and sisters throughout the world who are dying for their faith and they're dying with songs of praise on their lips. How can they be doing that? Because you can have all this world, just give them Jesus. And so we have to understand that has to be the sacrifice of our lips. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for what I have. 
Thank you for my, my family. Thank you for my church family. Thank you for the church all over the world. And thank you for the promises you've given me. Because one day, and one day very soon, trump of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, as believers, we who are alive and left shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and there, there we shall be with him forevermore. I mean, can you imagine? Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully. We're going to see him as he is. You know, when we think of vision, and I'm not going to try to get too, you know, but do you understand vision is just a reflection of light? I mean, do you understand that? It's, it, vision isn't like some, I have vision. No, you ref, you, light reflects off of people and, and clothing and so forth. And actually, the only reason you see colors is because it's a different wavelength of light reflecting off the, the clothing. So it's just a reflection of light. That's all vision is. And so we think when we get to heaven, we think of vision the same way maybe we do here on earth. But if vision is a reflection of light, can you imagine when we're going to be standing before the light? He is the light of the world. How, how amazing is that going to be? How amazing. We're going to stand before the light of the world. Our, our, our vision is going to be a whole lot different than we think of it here. You know, I think our senses are going to, be, going to be so far beyond what we can even imagine. I mean, maybe we'll be able to taste and smell color. And I'm not talking about an LSD trip. <laughs> I mean, maybe we really will be able... Who knows? I think it's going to be so much more than we think. And now, while we're in this world, though, before the rapture occurs, Scripture tells us in both Matthew and Luke, that we, we are the light of the world. And what do you do with the light? You don't hide it under a bushel basket, do you? You put it on a stand that all may see. And so I'm going to be closing with this. Brothers and sisters, are you the light to your part of the world? Am I the light to my part of the world? We are Many of us are going to be the only gospel that others see or hear. And it's not necessarily by the words we say, but it's by the life we live. It's easy to say a lot of things, a lot of boastful things, you know, a lot of, oh, I'm so... But to live it and to have people look and say there's something different about that person... You know, Frank was sharing also this morning about when they stoned Stephen. He was the first martyr. And it says that when they were stoning him, his face shone like the sun. And it was interesting because it says, Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And all the scriptures you read in the Bible, it says Jesus is what? At the right hand of God? Sitting. Why did he see him standing? I think because he saw, him, he saw Jesus saying, come up here, my son. And he closed his eyes in death and he was with Jesus. Can you imagine? Well, that's the promise you and I have. You see, in Jesus Christ, there's no fear. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Hey, 
I love the life God's given me, and if I die, it's going to be even better. I'm going to be with the Lord. But we have to have that promise and hope because if you have that promise and hope in your life, you're not going to always be seeking after something else. Well, I need this to be happy. I need that to be happy. Maybe if I did this, maybe if I had that, maybe if I was this, maybe I have that. You know what? Just be thankful in the Lord. And you're going to have such peace, peace that you've never known before. But the fact is, if we're always achieving or looking for something, understand this, you'll never find it. Because when you are wanting to go from here to here, when you get here, you realize there's a here. And you're going to get there and you realize... You follow the point I'm making? You'll never be satisfied because we, if you're looking for any kind of security and satisfaction in this life, you're going to get to the place you think you needed to get to, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You know, um, the thing I think about is the fact that um, we are always so often coming to a place or in our own heart we think if I just had this or if I just had that then I'd be happy well how amazing it is that the highest suicide rate is among the most successful people how amazing is it that the highest divorce rate are among our Hollywood heroes and heroines how amazing is that so if you're thinking Achieving a certain place or a certain level or having certain things is going to give you all that you're looking for. You're sadly mistaken. There's only one who will give you all you're looking for, and that's the Lord. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for the fact that you have given us the promise of eternal life. You have placed your Holy Spirit within us, that we're able to have peace, we're able to have joy in even the most difficult circumstances. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, just take this portion of Scripture that we studied and, and the encouragement <clears throat> that we find in it and help us, Lord, to apply it all to our hearts and lives. And I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just share one more thing with you. You know, I was reading about how there's four different kinds of grain offerings and three different kinds of pans you can use and the different ways you baked it and whether you put this. And you might be thinking, what does that have to do with anything? What it's showing us is that God can use any of us, any kind of person, any kind of situation to offer up a fragrant offering of thanksgiving and praise to him. Isn't that cool? You know... You might be a baking pan and I'm a covered dish, but you know what? The Lord's going to use us. God bless you, my friends.